0: 17 minutes it is before the uh, top of the hour. Uh, Some uh, audio there coming from the reportage uh, at uh, the time of uh, the uh, uh, Rwandan genocide or what I uh, tend to refer to as uh, the uh, Tutsi genocide. And it said that uh, Rwandan President Paul Kagame didn't mince his words uh, yesterday when he said his country would deal decisively with any threat to its unity. Uh, he was addressing a packed Kigali conference center yesterday uh, as the East African country commemorated the twith- 25th anniversary of the genocide against the Tutsis in Rwanda. Over a million Tutsis and those opposed to the 1994 uh, extermination of uh, uh, that uh, tribe were killed in a 100-day bloodbath. And the big question we're asking ourselves this evening here on Metro FM Talk is where is Rwanda today and how could uh, uh, Paul Kagame's leadership be described uh, in uh, reconstructing that uh, East African nation uh, after, of course, uh, that... um, deadly 100 days that we had and I'm joined uh, by uh, the one of our experts here at the SABC from uh, Channel Africa and uh, I'm joined by Isaac uh, Komo. and Dada Khomo good evening to you and thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us
1: good evening to you and evening to the listeners
0: Dada Khomo let's maybe uh, take a step back here and uh, think about what happened prior to uh, that uh, fateful time in 1994 and even before Uh, Of course, uh, the uh, uh, crash of that plane that carried uh, the then Rwandan president. uh, And uh, uh, paint a picture for us here of uh, Rwanda as a nation, of course, the Belgian influence and indeed the influence of the French in creating this kind of uh, uh, division and some of these really unhelpful distinctions uh, that uh, bubbled over in 1994.
1: (laughs) Why do you always go to the colonials to the distinction? Now, Rwanda basically is part of the Great Lakes area. And with the Great Lakes area, it's a wonderful area in the history of uh, the people of uh, let's say the Bantu-speaking people of uh, of Africa, mm. because uh, it's got one, some of the m- most highly developed Bantu um, organs of state and organs of government. This is going about even six hundred, eight hundred. In fact, I could say now into a thousand years. Yeah. Mm. And it was well defined with uh, government, with uh, those governments having departments and things like that. But one thing about that whole inter-castrian area, well, which was actually, which is actually the lake areas, it was this, that it was dominated by uh, state formation, which was based on caste, Yeah. And that was way before the colonial era. Mm. Now that's a thing that people do not understand. Now this issue has been well written. Let me not talk as if I know everything. It is well written by people like uh, Israel Katoke. You know, he's a Tanzanian uh, historian, the late Doctor Israel, Professor Israel Katoke. Yeah, he wrote a lot about the interlocustrian area, about the Tutsi Hutu, or rather uh, Nyambo. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Alangira and got this other categorization of people. And the Tutsi domination, the aristocrats, the the Bacuazis, they were Tutsis, you know, and they actually sort of at one time, they dominated the whole of um, Western, uh, the Western River Valley, going into Tanzania, going into Sukumaland. People do not have a map there. That is the southern part of Lake Victoria, mm. going right down to Tabora, the central part of 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 of, of, of Tanzania, but then those uh, Hima, uh, Hima, uh, the the Tutsi chieftains, they've been absorbed mm. into the those tribes, and they've actually sort of disappeared. But the chieftaincy of those people, they are basically originally of 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 uh, Tutsi ancestry, but the. Issue with the with the Great Lakes, Uganda, Tanzania, part of the Great Lakes, Rwanda, and Burundi, is this that um, the assimilation between the two groups never took place when colonialism took, came on. Mm. And with the colonialists, be the Germans in Rwanda and uh, Burundi, and also in Tanganyika, Tanzania, Deutsch Africa, uh, the Germans basically they maintained it, but they suppressed the uh, the the influence of the chiefs. But come the British and the Belgians, they actually got the indirect rule where the chieftaincy was actually put back and was given more importance. Mm. But then there was an issue which took place to sabotage uh, that setup, and that was education. Now, when education came through the missionaries, you find that the lowly-held Hutus, they started getting educated and once you get educated and also the economy of the country, it returning to a money economy. Yeah, it was no longer the rural sort of um, agrarian economy, the old, it was a capitalist economy. Mm. Yeah, you find that uh, classes of people came up who were independent of the rule of the big chiefs and everything else. And these formed the new uh, elites uh, from in the underclasses who actually came and started talking for their people. And with that, you find there was this formation of these parties, the Palipehutu. Now, if you listen to the narratives and the discourses which come from the West and people who are apologetic about what happened in Rwanda, they say that the Palipehutu was a racist uh, type of organization. But basically, it was an organization which tried to lift the downgraded Hutu from this um, feudal setup, which actually depressed them. It actually did depress them. Yeah. Mm. So that was the Palipahutu and that actually got its uh, opposition from the uh, princely um, ruling class yeah, of the Bahamas. Mm. And that has been the problem with the Great Lakes to this very minute. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's a decay of that old, very powerful feudal sure, system sure. which has been in place. Yeah, which is mm. actually resisting, and it's just just that amongst of, the Ankole of Uganda. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's, a, it's the same thing. It, mm. Yeah, it's all over. In fact, it's up to the Ruenzori. Mm. That is the thing that is happening. There. Dada Komo, I, I like to
0: elements of what you're saying which i think you know i lay the basis for us taking this conversation forward much has been said about i guess the 1994 moment in the history of the great lakes region and the impact that that has had in spilling over into the drc and in the ongoing conflict that we see in the drc but i want us to maybe come back to some of the class dimensions that you mentioned which uh, probably even predate the colonial period mm. what has happened post 1994 i guess to the class configuration of the East African Society of Rwanda and more, moreover even the entire region and the impact that that has had in the region because we do know that of course uh, um, you know the nation of Rwanda uh, is probably not the same as what it was 25 years ago and uh, certainly in the geopolitics of the area we certainly see I guess uh, the uh, voice of one Paul Kagame emerging quite strongly in the region.
1: Well you see 25 years ago <laughs> the RPF when it came from Uganda well, it came as a predominant... It was a, just nothing but just a, a, a Tutsi force, mm. and that Tutsi force is a force which uh, Kaga, which uh, sorry, which, which um, had actually sort of established. Mm. Yeah, of um, of 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 Hima's uh, Tutsis, they were Ankoles uh, Tutsis of Ankole extraction who are Ugandan. Yeah, they've also got the Hutu element of the Ankoles, the Ugandan. They're called Bairu. Mm. They called Bayru. They're more in majority, but they are. They're, they're a subjugated lot. But then um, you find that before then, with Habriamana's uh, government, Habremana basically people say that he was a tyrant and everything else. But the funny thing is this, that Habremana, with his government, with his rule, he actually said that people are going to go to school according to the demographics of the, of, of the country. And it's not that Tutsis were actually sort of put down, they never went to school. No. It was not that there were Tutsis who went to school, there were who were businessmen. In fact, there are Tutsis who were actually taken even to the tribunal yeah, to have assisted Abriyamana. Mm. Because there are those Tutsis within Abriyamana's government not yeah, government, who actually benefited and who were his business partners. yeah. So you find that, uh, unfortunately... Uh, the coming of uh, this new force it was more of a tribal but i don't know people don't like that yeah mm. it was more of a tribal oligarchy yeah which was which was trying to reestablish itself now with the force of arms with a modern force of arms mm. and that is it but that's the thing that many people do not like to look at it that way but that's what it is even in so, uganda so, so what
0: impact has that had i guess on the project of nation building in rwanda post the genocide and even the instability that we see in the <laughs> drc Well, nation building is it's there. they say that
1: there is only one tribe the rwandan tribe and the rwandan people but then uh, that's the thing but it's a tr- it's one people but then it's got its cast yeah the caste system is still there. If you look at the RPF and look at what it actually represents, look mm. at all the head of the army and everything else, you know, find that it's, uh, it's one tribe, but it's of uh, one caste. Yeah. That's an element which is, cannot be run away. Yeah, And mm. that's the thing that going back to the old days. But again, now the n- thing of nation building is very important and it has got to take place. Now, very serious people have been saying that with nation building post-1994, um, what needs to happen is a truth and real truth and reconciliation process has got to take place now what happened with the truth is the truth which took place post 1994 with the un tribunal and everything else and also with um, the discourse uh, about the who doing this and who doing that you know but then people are saying that no Let's look at the whole thing. Let's look at the other side. What did they do? You know, there is a documentary which has been put up by some Canadian firm using the works of uh, this lady called Judy River, Mm. which actually talks of, unfortunately it's not available on YouTube anymore, which talked of pre-1994 genocides of Hutus. They are not that massive. But when the RPF was coming in from the north, when sure. they attacked certain villages dominated by Hutus, they literally eliminated people yeah? in the course of war. Those mm. were war crimes, but they're not being talked about. And then comes the big 1994, really very sad uh, situation. You know, nobody can actually uh, support it. You know, we've all got to condemn it. Mm. But then we ask ourselves, what was the trigger? What triggered yeah. the thing? Who brought the plane down? Now I would not like to go into that because the thing that's been debated even amongst the RPF people, Mm. you know, they say they want to talk, some so don't talk, yeah. But then again, we come to the post nineteen ninety four, when the RPF forces went into eastern DRC, there were over five hundred people, women and children, killed. Mm. But then these issues, these are genocidal or war crimes, which are not being spoken of, and they do not want to bring them. And again. You find that people are saying that before you can actually get uh, true reconciliation, that truth Mm. has got to be unearthed and spoken of. And I
0: I want us maybe to engage, I guess, you know, the role of Rwanda in the public discourse here in South Africa. We (laughs) heard uh, finance minister Titumbo Weni waxing lyrical about how clean Rwanda is and uh, all manner of other things. And it became a, a sort of a ping pong in the public discourse. But there's often the sense that there are two Rwandas. There's the one Rwanda that really is quite critical of the Western democratic project and really doesn't need that kind of democracy and has been able to reconstruct that society post-1994. And then, of course, there is the Rwanda that we know has gone into many nations to eliminate some of its enemies. We also heard Paul Kagame a few weeks ago saying, uh, you know, the diplomatic relationship between South Africa is going to sour if South Africa continues to harbor uh, what uh, Kagame is calling his the dissidents of his regime in that country. How do we reconcile these two experiences? One of this new kind of Singapore that many people are talking about in Africa, and then, of course, this uh, reality of extrajudicial killing of enemies of the Kagame regime.
1: You know, that's a very sensitive area because these Rwandans did not like to be criticized. <laughs> I'm telling the truth, and if you talk too much, it'll come after you. Yeah, and that is the truth, it's not lies. Yeah. Um, there's another thing is this that. Tito you know, these are people like, um, well, I, with all due respect to him, but the way he says about Rwanda being clean, it's just town, it's just been clean. It's like people saying now that look at South Africa, look at Hilbert, it's so dirty and it's so filthy. And they would go back to the apartheid days when it was clean. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was very clean. But then somewhere there's rubbish. You know, the rubbish is all in the rural areas and everything else. Mm. Yeah. So if your measure of uh, people, of a country's uh, development and country's well-being is of a very leafy part of the city with manicured grass and hedges yeah with uh, westernized europeanized atmosphere and you find it clean and you say that is what we want Mm. well too bad i mean to send these people are people who are in the in the position of state you know it actually it's it's frightening you know i'm saying that is that going to be are we going to benchmark our development from that from, from from those uh Categories, mm. yeah. Rwanda, is, it's it's um, it's a country, very fine country. There was a former uh, advisor, economic advisor, uh, financial advisor to Paul Kagame. He's in exile in in uh, in Canada. He was here. He was teaching at at I forget mm. his name, but the man said that look, you cannot talk of the economy of Rwanda when you find that its power generation capacity is as big as that electricity which has been supplied to a suburb of Johannesburg. Now, that electricity cannot run an economy. So basically, um, when you talk of the Rwandan economy, we have really got to know mm. what is really happening. And yeah. actually, you see, is, it really, is there really a viable economy there? It is just mm. talk. And let's
0: go to the rural areas mm. and look at the r- rural yeah. Rwandans, how they are. Dr. we'll have to leave it there. I really appreciate you taking time out to speak to us this evening and sharing the, the depth and uh, the great well of uh, wisdom that you have and uh, knowledge and insight on uh, the Great Lakes region. And I uh, certainly hope that this is the first of many conversations we're going to have uh, here on uh, Metro FM Talk. That there was, uh, uh, and that there is a He is, of course, uh, one of the experts that we have here at the public broadcaster and certainly a treasure trove and uh, well of knowledge and insight on uh, the African continent. And uh, see, certainly uh, we uh, uh, drink at uh, the feet of uh, the knowledge of many uh, legends like him. And uh, I recall certainly, uh, I think it was about four years ago, going uh, to uh, Rwanda uh, for some work I was doing at the time and staying at the Hotel Des Mil which is the same hotel one would find uh, in, the, uh, 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 in the movie Hotel Rwanda. And uh, this is what I had to say at the time. A hundred days of killing clothed the beautiful souls of these folk like tattered second-hand clothes, cool enough in the heat but inadequate in the cold colonial gaze of the world. I met a warm and courteous waiter today. He serves me with a smile. I wonder how many he has lost and what he's done to cover the nakedness of loss. He serves me with meticulous attention to detail. I stopped myself halfway from probing for more details. Details of how he managed to heal, if at all. You see, I need these lessons because I live in a country whose unhealed open scars leave stains on roads untravelled but paths we are yet to rediscover and learn. I came here looking for a reminder of the hundred days of killing but found a country with streets and pathways so clean as if the blood of yesteryear requires daily cleansing to erase. I wonder if he had friends who were killed mere meters from where I had my jollof rice and chicken. With a panga hacked into eternity, I wonder. I marvel at what the Africans of Rwanda have built from a history that valued destruction. I marvel at the tenacity of the living when the skeletons and bones of the dead whisper constant reminders. My bull arrives. He asks, is it your first time in Kigali? As if to say you'd need a lifetime of visits to understand what we are, have been and are becoming. I say yes, conscious that my response and his question bligh an unmade assertion. You're lucky your visit came 21 years late. <laughs>